Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Well, I always want to exhort you when we open up the Word of God to um, open up your hearts to the living Word of God, and uh, we're going to talk about fear this morning. And so before we um, take a look at this text of Scripture, I want to encourage you to um, spend a little time confessing your greatest fear this morning. Um, Because in this passage of scripture, we're gonna realize there's someone greater than all our fears. Someone sufficient for all our battles. Someone greater than all our struggles. And so I, I just want you to take a moment, I'm gonna pray in a moment, but let's be real honest. This text is written because, and the Bible says it, Probably the chief command in the Bible is be not afraid. But you and I are plagued with fears. And we battle them. And we confess on Sunday Jesus is Lord, but then we leave. And even before we leave, sometimes we sit here feeling acutely alone. Like this thing is insurmountable. Or this thing is going to swallow me up. Or... Or I, I feel acutely alone, and if anybody knew what I was battling with and struggling with, I'd never get over it. But many friends, Jesus is Lord. Not our struggles, not the things we're fighting against. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is over everything. We just sang. So let's pray. You just take a moment and ask God to fight the war in your heart for rest and peace in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, you know all of us, you know all of us, and you know how easy it is for us to believe our fears rather than live by faith. To believe that our struggles are Lord, (laughs) to believe that our sins are Lord, to believe, Heavenly Father, that the circumstances of our city, our culture, our community, our country, our world, our Lord, but only Jesus is Lord. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that while we are weak and we confess, dear God, it is easy for us to fall into unbelief. We believe, help our unbelief. Show us Jesus. Let us hear Jesus. There's a lot of noise in our heads. There is an enemy who wants to discourage us, keep us out of the game. But we have a Savior, Christ the Lord, Jesus the Son of the Most High. Oh, that we would see Jesus today. Help us, we ask. He is worthy and we are needy. Help us, we ask in his name. Amen. Amen. 
So in this next section, uh, today and next week, I'm going to take a look at four miracles. Two miracles today, two miracles next week in Luke chapter 8. And it's very clear in these miracles that we are being told that Jesus is greater than our fears. We have the disciples at the beginning here, and they are on the boat, and the boat is storming, and they're in the middle of the chaos, and they shout out, Jesus, he's sleeping. They wake him, Jesus, we are what? Perishing. Perishing. Have you ever said that? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be too much. It's going to be over us. It's going to be too great. Jesus we are perishing. And Jesus, of course, stands up and he calms the sea and then he asks a penetrating question, where is your faith? That's a question I want you to think about today. Because as we study this passage of Scripture, if your faith is placed anywhere else other than Jesus, you will be plagued with fear. Right? If your faith is in your circumstances, if your faith is in the opinion of others, if your faith is in, in your economic situation, if your faith is in human beings, my dear friends, you will be plagued with fear. Get your eyes higher. Set your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. We've been, some of us, studying the book of Revelation, and the author, uh, the, the preacher uh, in that series says, you know, there, there's times where there's basically two exhortations that are given to us. The first is fear not, and the second is look. Look at the lamb who was slain. Look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Lift up your eyes, right? See who is king. Jesus is over everything. And in Luke's gospel, he exhorts us to fear not. In fact, here's kind of what's interesting about the Gospel of Luke and then Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. In the Gospel of Luke, the disciples are a struggling mess, right? All the way to the end. Thank God. Simon Peter is a struggling mess. Aren't you glad Simon Peter's in the Bible? I take a lot of consolation that Jesus loves Simon Peter and Simon Peter loves Jesus, right? It's a struggling mess right up to the last chapter, Fear and unbelief, even to hearing the resurrection. And then we go into the the book of Acts and the gospel of the resurrected and reigning Savior comes with power. The Holy Spirit is poured out and these men are changed. Gospel of Luke, fear. The book of Acts, courage. Acts chapter 4 verse 13, the religious leaders saw these Galileans in the temple and they remembered that they were with Jesus and were amazed with the boldness that they had. They tried to arrest them, tell them not to speak in that name anymore, don't speak in that name anymore, and they come to God and say, God, you've heard what they've said, now this is what we say, give us boldness, because we will not give up preaching Jesus Christ. So there's two groups of people that need to hear, I think Luke wants us to hear today, who Jesus is, and where our faith ought to be placed. The first is for someone who might not come to Jesus. Some of you might not come to Jesus because you're afraid to come to Jesus. The Gospel of John says that some people are not willing to come to him because they're afraid their evil deeds will be exposed. My dear friends, he is a gracious Savior. You do not have to hide in the shadows. You don't have to fear running to him. Run to Jesus. He knows you full well, and he loves you. Your baggage is not too heavy for him, and his yoke is not too heavy for you. 
He has come to relieve you. And so that's one of the reasons there are some people who do not believe that Jesus would receive them. And you need to hear today. You need to hear today. You can, you can put away fear and trust in Jesus. But the other part of this, which is really clear in the Gospel of Luke, is that fear will keep some people from going on mission for Jesus. These disciples are being commissioned to go out on mission for him. And that's one of the arguments that we have to hear. Some of you, are the, the reason why you need to get over your fear is because your fear has put you on the sidelines. And there is an enemy who's speaking to you and telling you that you're not deserving, you're not enough, you're not worthy. My dear friends, we have to see in this text, it's not the word of the enemy, it's the word of the Lord. And he actually takes the worst case scenario in the text we're studying, the demoniac, the garrison demoniac, and he puts him on mission for God to tell you that if he can do it to this demon-possessed man, he can put you in the game. He's got big plans, folks. He's got glorious plans. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Let me read to you the description by one commentator. Um, David Shaw says, These four miracles together are filled with the language of fear and faith. For example, the disciples lack faith and are full of fear, even after witnessing Jesus calm the storm. The people of the Gerasenes display fear upon encountering Jesus and the now-healed demoniac. The hemorrhaging woman, in the next section, trembles when Jesus calls upon her. Jesus subsequently praises the woman for her faith in coming to him for healing, and Jairus is exhorted, do not fear, only believe. Isn't that great news? That's my word to you today. Do not fear, only believe. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't listen to the narrative that's going around in your head. Listen and look to Jesus. Jesus above all things. So here's the question. We're going to walk through the text. I want you to say this. Where's my faith? If you've been anxious or if you are anxious, if you're fearful, let's just listen to me today. Ask the question, where is your faith? If your faith is anywhere else than Jesus, you are on shaky ground. But if your faith is in Jesus, he can do anything. He will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we were to ask or imagine. Is that good news? So let's walk through this text. I'm going to ask the first question, where does fear come from? And since I'm dividing it up, I'm not doing an all-encompassing um, statement, but I'm going to show you a few things in this text about where our fears come from, why they are fueled. And here's the first one I want you to say, see here in the text, in the, in the storm. Fear comes from an insufficient Christology, an insufficient Christology, your Jesus is too small. You understand that? Your Jesus is too small. He is Lord. We use the language of lordship, but we live like Islam. Right? Islam acknowledges that Jesus is a prophet. They honor Jesus, but they do not believe that he is the Lord over all. And I think sometimes we sing really well on Sundays. We pray really well in our prayers, but we go out and the wind begins to blow. 
and the waves begin to come up against the bark of our ship and we feel water around our feet and we feel like we're about to go down and suddenly the question is, where is your faith? Where is your faith? So let's walk through this. The fear of insufficient Christology. Watch this text, Luke 8, 22. One day, Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Isn't that great? That doesn't feel great when you're in trouble. You ever feel like Jesus is sleeping on the job? Right? Guess what? He can sleep on the job because he knows he's in charge and in control and who's in control. But it says he falls asleep and, uh, and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. I remember one time being on a canoe trip with a group of guys up north and we got sideways on the canoe in a current and it doesn't take long for that boat to fill. And that canoe goes like this and the water goes in and suddenly all our fishing tackle and life jackets and gear is floating down the stream and everybody's looking at each other like we're a bunch of idiots, which we were. <laughs> you know, it happens quick and all of a sudden you need help. All of a sudden you need other people to come to the rescue. They're in the boat and they cry out to Jesus. They wake him, verse 24. They go to him, they wake him and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Have you ever felt that again? Now, it sounds good when they say master, master. In the Greek, it's epistata, epistata. It's emphasized by being repeated. They're emphasizing master, master. It sounds like they're calling him Lord, but they're really, they haven't got the lordship thing down quite right. It's actually an interesting study in the Gospel of Luke to watch when the disciples call Jesus master, almost always their view of him is too small. Uh, let me show you this. Go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This is Simon Peter when Jesus calls him. Luke chapter 5 and verse 5. So it says in verse 4, And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, What? Right, master. That sounds good, right? This is not going to be an expression of faith. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. At least he did that. Right? At least he did that. But he's saying, we've been fishing like crazy, but if you say so, that's not the best expression of faith. I've done that a lot of times. Right? Have you ever done that? Okay, Lord, here we go again. I'll do it, because you say I, do, I should do it. But oh, me of little faith. And so a master, master, it's one of the Simon Peters calling Jesus master, but not feeling in the heart, not believing in his heart that he's Lord. Let's go back to chapter 8. We'll see this next week when um, Jesus comes to heal the, uh, Jairus' daughter and uh, the woman who has suffered for 12 years. And uh, you'll see in verse 44 of chapter 8, it says, She came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? Isn't that amazing? I just want you to know that as you reach out to Jesus, nobody else might know you're doing it today, but he knows. 
Nobody ever reaches out to Jesus and he is unaware. But listen to what the disciples say, right? Jesus says, who has it touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, what do you call him? Master, master. The crowds surround you are pressing in on you. It's incredulous. He's incredulous. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's calling out you. No, Jesus goes, somebody touched me. Power went out from me. You see, this is, this is calling him master, but this is what I mean by insufficient Christology. Go to chapter 9, verse 33. One of the great scenes where they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and John and James get to see a glorious vision of Jesus transfigured. Verse 30 says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were, what? Heavy Heavy with sleep. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad he's there? Because most of the time when we think we should be sharp, we're weary, weary with grief, weary with sorrow. But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the, two, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to him, Jesus, I got a great idea. Master, Master, I got a great idea. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What's he thinking there? Jesus, you, you're another prophet. Just like Moses, you're another great prophet. Just like Elijah, you're the great prophet. And God speaks from heaven and says, knock it off. Listen to him. This is who? My son. My dear friends, the one we worship today is the son of the living God. He is the Lord over all. And we we ought not to go, oh, I am perishing when Jesus is in the boat. And so one of the reasons that fear grips us is our view of Jesus is far too small. Oh, God, help me. Do you do that when you're singing, when Gabe's leading? Oh, God, help me. Let me see Jesus. When the worship team is singing, let me. When the scriptures are being read, oh, God, help me. Let me see Jesus. Some of you, that's all you need to pray today. Oh, God, let me see Jesus. Let me not see the opinions of men. Let me not see what's going on. Just let me see the Son of the Most High, God. Second reason that we struggle with fear in this text is because of demonic tyranny. Friends, we're in a spiritual warfare. We're in battle. And in this passage of Scripture, just like last week when we saw the parable of the sower and the Satan coming and snatching the seed, the, the other thing is not only snatching the Word of God, but ensnaring us with the lies of Satan. And so Jesus comes to this Gentile area to the area of the Gerasenes and he comes and there is a demon-possessed man and Jesus comes and deals with the demon-possessed man and it says in verse 28 it says when he saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice what have you to do with me who Jesus son of the most high God I beg you do not what torment me Wow, is that your theology of Jesus? Do not torment me. Now, why does he say that? Because he's been tormented by demons all his life. 
for a long period of time. He has been tormented. He has been naked, it says, for a long period of time. And when they bind him with chains, the demons break the chains. This man has been enchained by the enemy. The enemy has been tormenting him. And Jesus, it says, has commanded the enemy to leave him. You be gone. Jesus asks him, what is your name to the demon? And the demon answers what? Legion. This is not a little demon. This is not one demon. This is an army of demons. This is 6,000, a legion, a Roman army coming after, coming after, coming after, holding on to him. And Jesus says, depart. And they plead you know, with Jesus, you know, let us go to the pigs. They, they plead with Jesus. But what do they know? They know that they have a doom that is sure. That's what Martin Luther writes. And although his doom is sure, one little word will fell him. And they say, don't torment me. Don't send us into the abyss because the destiny of Satan is hell. Hebrews says he offers no help to the angels, but he does offer help to the children of God in Jesus Christ. What a statement that is. Do you hear that? You see, the enemy wants you to believe. This is the lie of the enemy. This is when we say we are perishing. You ever felt that? The enemy comes and he says to you, my destiny will be your destiny. And here's what Jesus says. No, my destiny will be their destiny. Because I have triumphed and will triumph over sin and death. And I will reign forever and they will reign with me forever. This man shall be free. I'm sorry, Satan. You have a destiny that's different than this man's destiny. And that's the lie you get in your head, right? The lie that gets in your head is that there's no hope for you. That your destiny is condemnation. That it'll all be exposed one day and on that day you'll be helpless and hopeless. That, my dear friends, that is Satan trying to keep you out of the game. Jesus is about to put this guy in the game. He's come to do that. And so that's, that's the glory of this text. It's the lie of fear comes from not only you know, that we have a, a poor Christology, but we have a vicious enemy who is set up to take us down, but Jesus Christ has taken him down at the cross and defeated him. Thirdly, our fear also comes from, I called this in my notes, cultural insanity. Did I put it up there as cultural? No, cultural idolatry. I meant cultural idolatry, but I actually think it's cultural insanity. Here's the ridiculous thing in this passage of Scripture. Jesus delivers the demon-possessed man, the demoniac, and they come and they see him sitting in front of Jesus. He's now clothed. He's now in his right mind. They see this man set free, and what do they do? They plead with Jesus to leave. Go away, Jesus. That's insane. You want to know the craziest people in this text? It's not the demoniac in all his madness. It's these people in the madness of having the Son of the Most High God, the Lord of the universe, in front of them, the one who could save and deliver them, and they say, no, thank you. Why did they do that? Philip Ryken says it could be because their economy was based on swine farming. And, and the value of this man was far less than the value of their farming. It's not for Jesus. He also suggests that one of the things that commonly happens when people is when there's a radical change in someone's life, happens in people's family. 
they can see the change. They can tell it's a deep change. They can tell it's a real change. And they know that if they acknowledge it, then they have to acknowledge that they need change. And some people don't want to acknowledge change because it costs them too much. Isn't that true? That's the scary thing there. That there's this cultural insanity. There's this pressure to keep Christianity, to keep Christ, to keep the Lord at a distance. Uh, I remember reading a line from Jordan Peterson who says, I live like God exists and I'm afraid he actually does. And that's what the world feels like. That's what the world uh, often says. You know, don't, get, don't bring your Christianity to the family picnic. Don't bring your transformation into the workplace. Don't show up to school now and tell us that Jesus has set you free. Right? There's pressure. Why? Because if we acknowledge that you have changed and that God is this way, then we're going to have to change. And we resist it. That's... That's cultural idolatry. We don't want to give up our economic ease. We don't want to change where we get our identity from. You go to high school, right? Your identity is from what everybody else thinks of you. What happens if you show up and your identity is from no one other than Jesus? Right? Suddenly they have no power. Suddenly there's no significance. Suddenly there's no control, right? Suddenly you're just out there. But that's what Christ loves to do. So let's, let's ask the question, what is faith? If you look at that text then, what do we believe when Jesus says, where is your faith? And what does godly faith look like? Here's what godly faith acknowledges. Number one, Jesus is Lord over the chaos. This is really important. In the Bible, the sea represents chaos a lot of times. So you begin right at the beginning of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And darkness was over. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over what? The waters. Hovering over the waters. And he was going to do what? Bring order. Let there be light. Let there be life. You get to the end of the book of the, uh, the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We just sang it this morning, and we see all the saints casting down their golden crowns upon the what? The glassy sea. There's a crystal sea in the heavens, in the new heaven. There's this crystal sea. The sea represents that Christ, the reigning Lord, God over all, has stilled all the chaos. There is no chaos in the presence of God. Can He still your chaos? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you need to hear this. He is Lord over the chaos. And, and, and so when Jesus was in the boat and he woke up and he said, peace be still. And the waters were still. And they said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is he? He's the Lord over all creation. Let me tell you something. Jesus was Lord over the winds and the waves not only after he woke up, but before he woke up. And you and I have to remember that because that's how the Bible reads. God uses the storms of life. He brings the brokenness and the chaos of life in order to call us to himself. Some of us would never have turned from our sin if God didn't break us. 
If God didn't bring us into the chaos, some of us would have never run to Jesus. We would have kept on going hard and fast and headlong into hell. But Jesus humbled us. Aren't you glad he does that? Humble us. He takes us into some of the most difficult days of our lives so we'll never be held by Satan again and sin. He's rescuing. And he does that. Read Psalm 107. There's a whole section in the 20s in that section where it says these guys go out to sea in the ships and then the Lord sends the wind and then they cry out to the Lord and the Lord delivers them. Thank God he sends windstorms. So we'll cry out to him that he might rescue us. But not only that, he, he uses the chaos of storms not only to call you to himself, but to send you to the nations on behalf of himself. Remember Jonah? The story of Jonah? <laughs> Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. Read Jonah chapter 2. He does not want to go to Nineveh. So God sends a storm. It's a raging sea. And he gets a hold of Jonah. They throw him overboard. And the end of, anybody remember what, how uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 10 goes? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah, you're going to Nineveh whether you like it or not. And then he pouts over there because God has mercy on the Ninevites. That's our God. That's our God. He loves to forgive and save sinners. Friends, we're going to take communion. And if you're a repentant sinner, take it with joy. He loves to save sinners. He is Lord. He's not only Lord over the chaos, but he's Lord over the demonic kingdoms. Do you understand what's going on in this text of Scripture? Satan is not his equal. And Jesus knows and Satan knows when Satan begins to plead, oh, do not send us into the abyss, he knows his destiny. He knows who rules him. He can do nothing without the permission of Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all the kingdoms. He is not equal, he is Lord over all, and even the enemy will do his bidding. So what do we have? We have this horrific story in the gospel where Satan comes and tempts Judas in order that Judas might betray Jesus, in order that Jesus might go into Roman and Jewish hands, that he might be nailed on a tree. And the moment that he says, it is finished, Satan is finished. He used Satan to destroy Satan. He took the power of the enemy to take the power of the enemy away forevermore. That's what Hebrews 2 ends with. He took on our humanity, right, and suffered us so that he might set us free who have been held in the fear of death by the enemy Satan, by the devil. My dear friends, the devil no longer has hold over those who are in King Jesus. He's Lord over creation and the chaos. He is Lord over the kingdoms of, of, of hell, Satan, and sin. He is also, I, I call this the Lord over the cities. So Jesus, at the end of this section, the 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 garrison, the herdsmen see their career go off the cliff and they run to tell the people in the city what Jesus has done and the people come running out and they're so excited about what has happened, they ask Jesus to leave. Will you leave from here? And what does Jesus say? Okay. It says Jesus leaves. But the demoniac says to Jesus, can I come with you? which I would understand, wouldn't you? I would rather go with Jesus than to stay here where they don't even want Jesus. 
But Jesus is Lord over the cities because Jesus knows I'm going to go, but he's going to stay. And this man goes into the cities, it says at the end, and proclaims the salvation of the Lord throughout the whole city. Oh man, Jesus just set off a bomb. My dear friends, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, it doesn't matter what anything, just go tell people what he's done for you. Just go tell, tell the city. You see, that's what he's doing. We have this earthly city, you know, we have the, the city of Babel, <laughs> where, where the pride of men rises up. We have all the way through the Bible, all these cities rising up, trying to stop. Even Jerusalem, 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 trying to rise up and to keep him from coming. But this king is starting a new city, a new Zion, a new Jerusalem, a new people in the middle of it all. My friends, that's us. That's us. That's us. Jesus is Lord of the cities, and he will have his people, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Is that good news? So where's your, where's your faith? What happens if you have this faith? Who's the great picture of not having fear but faith? It's the demoniac. If you look at the text of Scripture, what happens to this man? What does freedom in Christ look like? Number one, let, just, I, I love, this is one of the most beautiful passages here. Look, look at this text of Scripture in verse 35. The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Is that not sweet? This man who had been running and hiding and fighting and stripping his clothes off was no longer running and hiding and fighting and working and striving. He was sitting. And my dear friends, if you believe as Jesus is the Lord of your salvation who died on the cross and rose from the dead, you can sit still. You have nothing more to do. You can rest at the feet of Jesus. It is finished. Isn't that good? That is just so peaceful. My friends, you don't have to fix anything. You don't have to fix anything. Just fall at the feet of Jesus. Just sit at the feet of Jesus. Just commune at the feet of Jesus. He was seated at the feet of Jesus. The naked man was now clothed. Isn't that a great picture? This man who was tortured. I can just imagine, you know, when you feel chained, when you feel strained psychologically, there are times where you just feel like everything is constricting. I imagine this man felt so paralyzed, so imprisoned, so tortured. He stripped his clothes off because he couldn't have anything on him that would make him feel. He was trying to fight for freedom, but he could not fight for freedom. He could not gain his freedom, but Christ has bought his freedom. And he is now clothed. Clothed not in his own righteousness, but clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My dear friends, you don't have to wear shame. You don't have to wear sin. You don't have to wear guilt. You can walk out of here clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and God only sees you as righteous in Jesus. Isn't that good news? Amen. He is sitting at the feet of Jesus. He is clothed. I love this next line. He is now in his right mind. He's the only one, other than Jesus in this text, that's in his right mind. Really, it seems like. 
right? He's in his right mind. Sanity has come. Sanity has come. The lies have stopped. The fear is gone. He knows why he exists. He knows why he has been made. It has never been more clear to him that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He sees like he has never seen before. The greatest sanity in the world is the sanity that believes that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. To see that is enough. To see our hope in Christ. Do you see that today? Don't listen to other lies. It'll drive you insane. Don't listen to other promises. Don't try to save yourself. Don't try to save your dignity. Don't try to get popular. Don't try to do anything. Just come to Jesus and listen to him. The greatest sanity is go, your sins are forgiven. I'll just tell you a couple other things here. The other thing about this man is he was just deeply in love with Jesus. All he wanted to do was be with Jesus. Can I go with you, Jesus? Right? Don't you want to say that today? I don't want to go back to work. I just want to go with Jesus. Well, that'll come soon enough. But Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me. You're going on mission now. Because now that you've been humbled, now that you've been forgiven, now that you've been set free, now you can go tell what Jesus has done for you. Isn't it interesting how Luke writes? It says, Jesus said to him, go tell what God has done. This is very intentional by Luke. Go tell what God has done. And the man went and told what Jesus has done for him. You know what Luke is saying there? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Friends, we're about to take communion. I can tell you, you can have peace today through faith in Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Let's cast off our fear and fall at the feet of Jesus and Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.